talking for this week. The uh, what are we going to call this one, Terry? The Winter Storm Landon yes. edition. <laughs> How much snow are you expecting to get in Akron down there? I don't know. A foot? Who knows? We're going <laughs> to find out. We got the snow shovels out. We're stocked up with lots of salt. So good, ready to go. So yeah, I saw somebody on yesterday on Twitter was saying it. You know, in the Midwest, we don't go by. We don't name our winter storms. We we call yeah. we give them years. The uh, you yeah. know the blizzard of seventy eight. So like we're not doing the winter storm naming thing. Yeah. So which I thought was funny. So all right, so let's get into it, Terry. Um, let's start with the Cavaliers this week. Lots going on with this team. Thirty one and twenty. And it's amazing how tight the Eastern Conference is right about now. The, the, the Cavs are a game and a half behind the Bulls for first place in the East, but they're also like three games out of seventh, which would be like a playing spot in the playoffs. Uh, Monday night was kind of interesting. I, I know the Cavs have really talked about winning that game ugly. Uh, where are you staying with the Cavs? I guess winning ugly is kind of a good thing for a team that's just this young, isn't it? Because a lot of times playoff wins are kind of ugly, aren't they? They are. And most of the time, young teams have no clue how to win ugly. They just... If they make the shots, they might win. If they don't, good luck. We're out. We'll get them tomorrow. I mean, that was part of the reason for the last three years. So often you saw the Cavs just run around scatterbrained on the court. You have no idea what was going on. And there was no cohesiveness on the defensive end to hold things together when the shots weren't falling. I know that was one of JB's primarily primary missions was to you know get an identity on the defensive end. And the nice thing is that uh, the roster helps him do that with all the big guys who are athletic. So you can lose. I mean, it was, last night, no Garland. I mean, the other night, no Garland, no Markkinen, no Rubio, no Sexton. I feel like I'm missing somebody else. And you still managed to win, was it 92 to 90, I think. Um, and I'm not sure I want to see a lot more of Shetty Osmond at the point, but uh, it was worth a shot at it because they were raving about his 12 assists, but he went three for 16 from the field. You know? Right, right. No, no. You know, if you're going to be a point guard, don't start jacking up shots where you're missing all the time. And then Goodwin comes off the bench and gets 22 points. So who knew? But that's what happens when a team does have an identity because, yes, we could talk about Goodman getting 22 points and Love had another nice game off the bench. And that, they held them to 90. That's why they won. And that's like in the old days, holding them under 80. Because remember, right now, the average NBA team scoring almost 109 points a game, where in the old days, they scored like 100. Yeah, it's a different scale. Yep. Yeah. You know, so, you know, we've kind of talked here and there about J.B. Bickerstaff being a candidate for coach of the year. And that, that will be determined as the season goes along. But it's, I've been amazed. Whatever they need on a given night, he seems to be able to pull it out of guys. He talked about Jetty with his 12 assists the other night. I think Kevin Love said that Jetty told him before the game Monday night, I'm going to get 10 assists tonight. You know, yeah. on other nights, it's Lamar Stevens. It's like they need Lamar Stevens to shut somebody down. And these guys are coming off the bench, and they're not doing everything. But JB seems like he's really able to pull one good thing out of people they need on a given night if there's an injury or somebody is sick or you know Darius Garland with his back injury this week it's really been something to watch I remember a long time ago a young basketball writer covering the Cavaliers in fact Terry Weltman was the GM it goes way back to that year and I was going on about Gerald Henderson who was a bench player off the uh, for uh, the, the Celtics he'd come off in kind of a small regard and really play well and Weltman warned me, he said, you have to be careful on players like that because you put him out there with Bird, Parrish, McHale, 
you know, Dennis Johnson that says he's filling a role on a really good to great team. And he only has to do a couple things and it really matters. You put a guy like that on a bad team or a team like us where we're young and still trying to figure stuff out, you just don't get a lot out of them. And we saw that, I mean, Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens were on the team last year and they were just guys because the team had no identity or anything else. This year, um, you have the defensive identity, you have those big guys up front, and don't underestimate, you know, a coral, as you mentioned, Lamar Stevens. They both go out there and they know two things really defend that guy that they're assigned to, and secondly, drive to the rim. Go in there like a fullback. You know, you could take a few jumpers, but your whole game is physical. You're punishing on offense, you're punishing on defense. Have at it. And Part of the reason that works is because they've had a, a premier point guard next to them and Darius Garland, and that helps Garland because Garland is not strong defensively. So that's, that's where all those things fall into place because the you, Kevin Love is now in that whole role off the bench where he is, but he's also playing, you know, very smart, good, you know, high level basketball. And so was, I mean, I want Allen and Garland on the all-star team. You probably could have made a case for Mobley, but it's fine. Let him go play on the, on the rising stars game. And so these other guys come together, but JB is, as you mentioned, said that, all right, you probably, if you, if you tell Chetty, I think uh, tonight he'd probably have to play again. I want to see 10 assists. I don't want to see 16 shots when you're only making. Four. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. All right. So, going in fine, but you'll know with Chetty, usually, you know, after the first three or four, where the night's going. Well, the other night in Detroit, he had a, he had a pretty good shooting night. So it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you remember get... before that, he was one for 20 on threes. And that's, that's, that's Chetty. Have an idea after a while where it's going with him. But if he's scrambling around, passing the ball, trying to defend, he's sort of an annoying defender. He's in the middle of everything. That's a, that fits with this team. Mm-hmm. All right, Terry. So you mentioned the uh, Rising Stars game. Of course, the All-Star game, All-Star weekend is going to be in Cleveland at down at the Fieldhouse on February 18th, 19th, and 20th. And we found out uh, yesterday that um, Evan Mobley and Isaac Okora have made the Rising Stars game. Uh, Mobley is going to be on the rookie team and Okora is going to be on the sophomore team. This is kind of what we thought might happen, right? Okora was a little bit of a surprise, but, um, you know, his, his numbers and, and the, the, he's not great offensively, as you mentioned, but defensively, he's, his plus minus is the sixth best in the league among rookies and sophomores. Our colleague Chris Fito report, reported that stat last night, which I thought was really a great one uh, on Isaac's behalf. So this, this is good for the Cavs, right? Yes, and also it's rewarding a player for playing team basketball. Because you can't just keep, I, I, I know some of the analytics stats go way beyond me. I did very well till I hit calculus in high school. <laughs> like You're not alone. Graduate calculus. I was good at trig and all those before that. Uh, but the fact that like he has a high plus minus and, and generally, if you look at it, especially once they put him next to Garland with these other big guys in the defensive mindset, yes. The team plays better with a coral out there most of the time. Um, and the other, the other thing that really highlights uh, Garland's value is, you know, they have average plus minus per game, you know, for that. And Garland had by far the highest on the Cavaliers. In other words, they outscore the opposition more with Garland out there 
than with any other single player. And then they have combinations of players. So it, it just, I like how it highlights that. Now there's one that to me is a bit too complex, but they came up with a total aggregate number on who is the best defensive player in the NBA. And it was Gobert from Utah who usually wins it, but Jared Allen was rated number two. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned uh, Gobert. Um, and again, this is from Chris, Chris Fedor's coverage yesterday. Mobley is one of only three players in the league right now who's averaging 14 points, eight rebounds, one and a half blocks a game. And the other two guys are Rudy Gobert and Anthony Davis. Yeah. So that is some pretty good company right there. And, um, you know, it's always good as we get close to the All-Star game to kind of take stock on, you know, you want to look at guys' stats and how they're playing. And this is this is just kind of, a, like you said, a justification of, of the season that Evan Mobley's having as a rookie. I mean, he's averaging um, – it is 14.8 points per game. He's shooting 50.5% from the field. Um, really, you know, everything they could ask for out of a rookie, I think. And that's some pretty elite company with uh, for one the guys we just mentioned there. I can't recall which Cavs GM it was because just when I think it's one, sometimes it's the other. But he was complaining about – his team being poor defensively and coaching and that. And I said, I'm sure coaching was part of it. I said, the other part though, if you want to have a better defensive team, how about getting better defensive players? And I said, it's just, that's part of it. I mean, some of these guys who've been just shooting and scoring their whole life and not worrying about defending anyone, it's pretty hard at the pro level to get them to change that mindset. When it does change is if the team identity and has some success with defense with these other guys then the peer pressure forces them to defend but just simply a coaching change doesn't do it it has and see that's what happened with the Cavs there was a coaching change but JB had trouble getting these guys to defend a year ago but here comes within 12 months now it's 13 because in January of of, uh, 21 is when Allen joined the team and then they drafted Mobley, and then they drafted, I'm sorry, they traded for Marketing, who was, you know, we lost him the last few weeks but in terms of watching it, but who's part of this defensive ide- ideal there. Um, Rubio is a better defensive player than I thought, because I thought he was pretty bad. And, you know, he's scrappy. That's what it was, and that helped them. So you, you bring all those guys in here, and then Okoro suddenly matters more. Stevens matters more. So even the guys who maybe don't defend that much, they know they better defend. Yeah, and, you know, offense, you can talk about skills and height and length and ability to get to the rim and ability to shoot from distance. I mean, defense is all about want to. Like, yeah. do you want to defend? And I think you're right. It's contagious. If, if everybody has the want to, if they all want to do it and they're holding each other accountable, then, like you said, that's really where it comes in. And that's, that's where the coaching comes in and where it, it gets to be contagious, where guys are holding each other, hey, come on, you can't let that guy go to the hoop on you like that. We need that, you know, when they're pushing the other, each other. But there's one big, well, there's a couple of physical attributes. It helps if you have long arms and you're taller. Okay, that, that's one. The other, though, is lateral movement. You have to move laterally well on your feet because some guys are pretty good running in a straight line, but running sideways, not at all. And that's really what helps these guys um, defensively. See, that's the the... the Especially, I'm sorry, Okoro is very good at it. Remember, they talk about how he gets around screens. So are Mobley and so are Allen. And Markington, who I thought would have real trouble with that, he's not bad. 
he wasn't bad on some of those small forwards. So uh, those are things that you have to have a certain amount of physical skill. Then it's a matter of wanting. Now, some of these really good athletes who can score have that skill, but they're on a team where nobody cares. I mean, you, we've watched the Cavs recently play, uh, I want to say Oklahoma City, San Antonio, which I was hard to believe. And it reminded me of the Cavs, those teams of a couple of years ago, or even last year. Just young guys running around, shooting the ball, just kind of chaotic. Trying to build up stats, yep. Build up stats, not sure how to play. You know, or one guy tries to defend, but nobody else does. So thank goodness we're past all that. Yeah, it's a good good place to be. So so the uh, getting back to the All-Star game, we know who the starters are going to be. And tomorrow, Thursday, the All-Star reserves are going to be announced. Darius Garland, you know, you get the sense right now there's a lot of phone calls being made on behalf of some Cavs players. And, you know, there's a chance that Garland makes it. There's a chance that Garland and Jarrett Allen make it. Would you be disappointed? And do you think Cavs fans should be disappointed if they don't get both players in, if, or would you be okay if it's just Garland this time? I wrote a column, if you believe in how basketball is played the right way, you know, with defense, team play, and all that, they both deserve to make it. Now, does the NBA actually think that? No, it's a star-driven league, and they like numbers and scoring and that. So I would be disappointed. I mean, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, they're talking about, well, the Cavs are going to get shut out on All-Stars. I guess I'll say this. If that happens, then it just shows you how, what the league values and what it doesn't value. And the coaches talk about all this stuff. Well, this is your chance. You want defense. You want unselfishness. You want all that stuff. That's Jared Allen. That man never misses a shot. <laughs> He's one of the few guys in the NBA. They go, shoot more. He was shooting like 68% from the field. So you're saying that it would kind of reflect what the values are of the coaches. I mean, the coaches picked the reserves. Yes. Um, it would kind of reflect what they think is important. And if they picked Allen, it would show kind of, hey, we think this is good basketball and we want to reward it, right? That's what you're yes. saying. Yeah, absolutely. And it's paid off in wins. And the other thing that you, to think about is a lot of times you see this across sports in an all-star situation where there's like a delay where a guy is really, he's deserving of an all-star bid, but he might not get it till the following year because there's kind of a delay and, and he has to build up his reputation and things like that. So, I mean, I could see him making it. I could see him not making it. I could, it's going to be really interesting to see how many guys the Cavs do get. David, so. I would say this. Now, the fans, I don't blame them for not knowing about Jared Allen. The Cavs are not even on national TV. You know, why would you know? His number, I mean, the fantasy types would know that he has a high shooting percentage in that, but that's it. But the coaches are supposed to know this stuff right away. So if they don't pick them, that's on that really is on them. They don't they shouldn't have this delay idea. No, it's a good point. I mean, you I, can you can blame the fans more for the delay than you would yeah, be able to blame the coaches. I think you're right. I mean, yeah. I don't know what's going on with some of these teams. You know, I really don't know. And the coaches should. You're well, right. They look at enough film, and if not, they got five other guys in suits on the well. They, now they all wear warm ups uh, <laughs> on the bench, and they're supposed to know. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we're thinking Darius Garland's probably going to make it. And again, just to run through, Chris Fedor had some great information in a post he put up, um, I think it was yesterday, about just how valuable Darius Garland is. With him on the court this season, the Cavs have an offensive rating of 114.0, which would be the league's second best mark without him. That 
goes down to 106.5, which would leave them 27th ranked down with Houston Rockets. And you mentioned this earlier, Terry, about his plus minus. He has the best plus minus on the team. When he's on the court, the Cavs outscore their opponents by 317 total points this season. And that's a number that ranks just behind Steph Curry, Rudy Gobert, Nikola Jokic, and Chris Paul. So again, some pretty elite company, and, and uh, I, th- I think he's going to make it for sure, especially with the game being in Cleveland. I wonder if I wonder if the game being in Cleveland might help Jared Allen get in. You never know. So sure. I mean, that's not the only reason. But if you once again, what do you value? This is a this is a question of what do you value as coaches in the NBA. And it'll be interesting to see how they answer that. So anyway, that'll be coming out tomorrow. And then Sunday, which is February 6th, we will find out who the All-Star, All-Star Game coaches are going to be. It's going to be the top team's coach in each conference, unless they have been, unless they coached last year. So we'll see how that all works out. And we'll go from there. So anyway, the uh, schedule ahead for the Cavaliers tonight, they are in Houston at 8 o'clock. Boy, the Rockets, what a tumble they've taken. They're 14 and 36. The Cavs, it's probably a good night for them to rest Darius Garland again with his back if they're yeah, going they to have to. Be careful with that. And I'm going to, yeah. I've got a, a, an email from a fan. Boy, I sure wish they had kept Kevin Porter Jr. And what, no, no, no. I, he, if you like numbers, he'll give you numbers. I like winning. No, he got suspended earlier in the year. He wouldn't come off the bench or something. He and another player there. Um, defensively, he, no interest in defending. He's a talent, but I don't want any sort of distraction on this team. And you've talked about the chemistry. I mean, it, yeah. the chemistry is so good on this Cavs team right now. And, and if you have one player who isn't kind of bought in all the way, it just it, it can affect everybody. And I, I think you mentioned when that you're before. Demanding so much of them. I mean, JV is a demanding coach. You know, he comes across so um, thoughtful and everything in his in his uh, um, his uh, press conferences. But you could tell. I mean, he'll get he gets into the officials and he'll get into these guys. And he is demanding this defensive thing. And that takes self-discipline on the court. And it takes also a lot of study off the court so that you know where you're supposed to go so that these different switches and things work. Um, And just because Kevin Porter could put up some numbers, I don't care. I'm not, you know, this team, I'm still shocked they're winning. Were they 11 games over 500? Yep. I mean, who knew? I picked him to win 30, and that was higher than a number of the national media picked him. And they already have 31. Yep. Yep. Okay, so the Cavs tonight to Houston. Friday they are at Charlotte, a quick two-game road trip, and then they're back home for two Sunday against the Pacers at 6, and then they're home next Wednesday, which is February 9th, against the Spurs at 7. Terry, let's take a break. We are going to come back and talk some Browns, and you've got a couple of veteran quarterbacks that you want to talk about who might fit what the Browns are looking for. We will get into some baseball negotiations real quick. We'll talk some faith column. We got a couple of Terry Terry questions. I got an all-star related Terry's trivia question for you. So we'll be right back on Terry's talking. We're back on Terry's talking David Campbell and Terry Pluto award-winning sports columnist for cleveland.com and the plain dealer Terry, some big news in the NFL this week, uh, Brian Flores, who was unceremoniously fired by the Miami dolphins has filed a huge lawsuit against the NFL. This could really be a landmark case in terms of the way um, black coaches have been interviewed, 
not hired, generally treated in the NFL. And there's a Hugh Jackson tie in here, but this, this could be a really important case as it goes forward in the NFL in, in terms of how they are hiring head coaches. Especially uh, my friends are in the coaching business, almost in every sport say it often isn't the first job that bothers us it's like when you get your first job because usually we get a bad team says then we get fired and then we're kind of sentenced to being an assistant after that i mean jb bickerstaff even the nba went through that he had to be interim coach twice he was interim twice i mean the one year he took over uh houston i think there were four and seven he i know his record was 37 and 34 and instead of giving him the job the next year they let him go and brought in um, D'Antoni. And then JB went back to be an assistant somewhere. He went to Memphis. I forgot whoever got fired there. Then he took over. He was an interim coach there. And then they brought him back just on a real contract for the following year, let him go again. And then, uh, you know, now he's in Cleveland. So he finally gets a chance. But a lot of times my, my friends are African-Americans in the coaching business. You don't even get that. And yeah, I think it's like there's a different standard. Yeah. Whereas you see some of these guys keep recycling over and over again. So that's, that's, that's the thing that to look at, you know, are when they're the owners are, are looking at people. I mean, Jim Caldwell, this guy's had a really good record. I mean, he, he was above 500 in Detroit. And he, I think he was, he got like a, in fact, he got a quickie interview, I think with the Browns, one of the times go around a few other places and nothing, you know, so that's that's when when you talk to the uh, the, the coaches and the African American coaches, see that's the things they're looking at, and like as Flores is talking about. Then you come in, you have the you know the token interview. You feel like they're not really you don't really matter. Like so so just so the team can check the box. That's yeah. the way. That's the well, way. That's that, that's yeah. where I would, and they need to kind of make that even clearer. That's really what they're talking about. Well, and also, I mean, we've seen this evolve as the years have gone on. And I know the, the Rooney rule has been kind of credited as getting things moving on this. Uh, you know, in the Rooney family, it's interesting. The Rooney rule, which required minority interviews for head coaching candidates, they, they brought Mike Tomlin in for an interview, I think, when they hired yeah. Bill Cower. But they loved Mike Tomlin. And when Bill Cower left, they hired Mike Tomlin. And now he's been there for, what, 15 years. So, you know, you can see the Rooney rule did have an effect. But I think this lawsuit is just like, hey, we've given this years and years and years to gain traction. The league has tried to make incremental changes. And I think that what the coaches are saying is we've had enough. This needs to happen now. And this lawsuit is intended to really shake things up. Uh, and so I think this is the, the league has been very, you know, standard response in terms of we're not going to talk about this right now but when when things start to roll on this there's going to be a lot of things out there that are really going to come to light i feel okay now i want to kind of along those lines i'm looking at jim caldwell now right now he's 67 i'm not sure you want to go down that road with a 67 year old coach but maybe it depends on your health but how about this so in the he had four years in detroit detroit now 11 and 5 Seven and nine, nine and seven, nine and seven. He gets, he gets, he gets let go. And that's been it. I think he's been, you know, assistant somewhere or other, but really, you know, and then of course Detroit, you know, so that, so then they go six and 10, 
then they go three and 12 and one, then they go five and 11, and then they go three, 13 and one. That would be if I were to present, you know, something to say, there's something wrong here. Why didn't Jim Caldwell immediately get a job? Much less. I mean, you're sitting there going, the Lions have sucked for so long. This guy actually has three winning records and you just dismiss it. And he's not even getting a job this offseason. You know, all that. Um, So that's the kind of stuff you look at. You know, Flores has has done, has had a turnaround. You know, he had a turnaround Miami. So I I guess he did fight with ownership and that on some stuff, but you know. Yeah, so we we need to talk about the Hugh Jackson part of this. And apparently Hugh Jackson is saying that he was – paid by the Browns for for losing games so that they could improve their draft position. Who knows whether that's true or not. Uh, Terry, you, you obviously have been covering the Browns for a long time. You went through the Hugh Jackson era. Uh, what did you think of what you're hearing about that angle of it in terms of Hugh trying to say that the Browns kind of paid him to fail or that's what he's contending well, anyway? We have no idea if it's true. You know, Flores said that uh, something like he's offered $100,000 a loss or something to one year at Miami. Now, if he's got some proof on that, the NFL really has to crack down on this. And if Hugh says that, but Hugh's got, you got to have some kind of proof, the emails, text, something to indicate this. Because are you just saying this? Because it's one thing where they tell you, don't worry about it. You know, we're not going to fire you. Play the kids, take the hit. It's another thing to say, you get 100 grand for every loss. <laughs> I mean, that, a little more of a direct line there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, so, and that's, that's the point. Cause there's, I mean, all these teams and to some degree or another, you know, are, are, are tanking it at different times. In other words, we're going to go with the youth movement to see if it'll pay off. And sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't. And coaches are often know that going in that you're here to play the young guys. You know, that's one of the things, a big divide between the Browns and Jackson is Jackson claims he was not told that there were going to be a big re- tear down rebuilding when he took the job. Um, you know, Sashi Brown and them said, of course. I mean, and it was very evident, you know, when he was in where they were going. So if he's got some proof, you know, we have to see it. If not, it just sounds like you're trying to, you know, explain what went wrong in Cleveland. And um, don't forget, it was Hugh Jackson Day this week, Terry, 131. January 31st every year is known in Cleveland as Hugh Jackson day. So I hope, hope you commemorated the day, but going back to Hugh Jackson, like you're right, there is a complete difference And Brown's fans have been watching Hugh Jackson try to reclaim his reputation since he left here. It's been an ongoing battle for him because he wants another coaching job. And you're right. There is a difference between, Hey, you know what? Our roster is really young and it's really lacking in talent. Go do the best you can. And if you lose, you lose because of, of talent, you know, guys can't, keep pace with with guys that are older and better than them but Browns fans know what the Hugh Jackson era was like I mean we saw Deshaun Kaiser botch the end of a first half in Detroit and let the clock run out at the two-yard line and the Browns get no points on a drive like that's not the GM and the front office that is head coaching and you can see a well-coached team even if there's no talent there and I think Browns fans would if you ask most Browns fans I'd say a big majority of them would say that this was not a well-coached team, even if it was lacking in talent. No, no, it, it wasn't. And, you know, whether 
the Peter principle thing hit with Hugh, you know, where he was a good offensive coordinator with the Bengals and it just didn't work here or whatever, but you know, he's been trying to explain and then Of course he's trying to get back in the league. So we'll have to see, but I'm not going to, you know, the, the world is strange. So if there's a text or email or something, you know, well, let's see it. And if that's the case, boy, the league has to intervene and there should be fines and draft choices taken away and all kinds of stuff. You want to be bad, we'll make you bad. You know, yeah. that, seriously, I mean, that would be the message that, that I would give. So we'll see how it plays out. But I found it interesting. But I, when, I, when I thought of the stuff on the floor is, it was that I know that what they're really talking about, yeah, they'd like to get the first job for the minority coaches, but these guys just think that they want – almost any big job you get like that in any sport, you learn so much the first time around and you should be better the second time around. It's just common sense. And And like you said, a lot of these guys don't get the chance. Yeah. 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 That's their big argument. Yeah. All right. Terry, let's like the Steelers, by the way, and they're going to ride it with their coach. They're just not like that. True enough. So, Hey, let's talk about the current Browns. Just dropped my pen. Sorry about that noise. So there's a couple of quarterbacks that you've kind of been checking out. And I'm really, it, it's really been something to watch Browns fans this off season. There is a pro Baker contingent. There yeah. is a let's get rid of Baker contingent. Uh, and for the, for the get rid of Baker contingent, there is even debate about how they would go about it, who they would bring in. You've been looking at a couple of veterans you think might fit, not just from a style of play, but also money-wise and how it could all work. Why don't we talk about that for a minute? Well, what I wanted to, to bring up was um, when you see these cap figures on these players, uh, for example, Kirk Cousins, 2022, $45 million cap figure. Oh, how could the Browns possibly do that? Well, I was talking to an NFL GM. He said, well, if the Browns were to trade for him, you're not picking up that cap figure. I said, oh, really? He goes, number one, uh, and this GM, by the way, he likes a website called Over the Cap. He says, of the ones that are available for free, that is the best. So I would say overthecap.com if you want to get some good numbers. Um, now, th- this is high. In 2022, the upcoming season, Kirk Cousins' actual cash payout is $35 million. He said, now what you would do is you would take that, you turn some of that into a signing bonus, and you turn this into like a two or three year contract. So the cap number goes down. It gets, remember we talked about the, 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 where we are in the calculus and above, but you don't, he says, just don't get taken off by that um, 35 million, I'm sorry, $45 million cap figure. The other guy, uh, and then this question of, you know, is Kirk Cousins that much better than Baker? You know, all that kind of stuff. But Kirk Cousins did have success with Stefanski um, and you know he, interesting he, he he looked very bad you know when he played against the Browns this year but overall his numbers aren't uh, aren't too bad and you know you always say well he didn't beat a lot of good teams you know well Baker hasn't either I mean a lot of these guys haven't now the other guy I want to look up and as I'm calling him up so I did get it exactly right because a few weeks ago I mentioned we we're going to look at Matt Ryan and um, he is now the tough thing there. This guy's going to be 37. And, you know, right now, now his cap figure, he's under contract for two more years. 
his cap figure is like $48 million for 22, $43 million for 23. But when you scroll down and you look at the cash payouts, it's 23 million and 28 million. You know, that's again, one of those things you could turn it into something else because the player doesn't care about the cap figure. He just, he just wants the money that he's owed. So that's why you can do different things with him. Now, are, is Matt Ryan at 36, you know, right now, will he, is he going to be an upgrade over Baker? I guess it's the question is this, David, I'm going to ask you, what is the Browns window to win? How many years? I would say three to four years, right? Okay. Miles Garrett is in his prime. The offensive line is locked up in large part and right. Three to four years. Is that where yeah, you're at? I think I'm, I want to say two to three. I'm going to three. Less. Yeah. Just cause the NFL changes so much. So then if you say, let's, let's, let's settle on three. Okay. Could Kurt Cousins the next three years, you know, hold down the job and take you farther than make Baker. Because one thing you would be doing if you brought in Cousins, you would probably make sure that, you know, he's here a couple of years. Then the question on Baker is, you know, remember Baker's got his contracts really uh, reasonable for next year by quarterback standards at 18 million, but then he's going to be a free agent, total free agent, not restricted. So then you have to figure out what you, what's going on. Um, when I look at these teams, for example, like Atlanta, who may want to tank <laughs> or something they might be interested you know here's the other thing if you got matt ryan you got those big cap figures your team's not very good you could probably talk yourself into baker mayfield say well you know two years ago he was pretty good um get him healthy let's put him out there let's see and if it get works, him a fresh start fresh new start team, plays new in, city plays, plays in a dome you know that could help new city not a lot of high expectations that might work, you know, so that those are the kind of things that are going on. And I, I'm not saying the Browns should do this, but they must explore these things and they have to have very realistic discussions on, all right, how far do you want to go uh, with Baker? Um, and do you, would you, would this make more sense here, you know, in terms of what you have to give up? Now, other teams will be having this same discussion, too. There's a whole bunch of people looking for quarterback. I mean, what's Tampa Bay going to do right now? Yeah, I mean, people are saying Jameis Winston, but who knows? They're going to be in the running for – it's going to be like musical chairs. It Tampa really Bay, is. Think, you know, but I guess the Arians go, well, you know, our window's like one to two years. Give me Matt Ryan. I'll rehab him. And it worked before. It worked before yeah, when so they brought in a, a, a veteran in his late 30s, so – Yes, they did. So they could be. So that's why it's fun to me. But I also want to bring that out because I just learned that myself a little bit more on how you make these trades. The right and also the red right website to check out for that number. You'll see you have to scroll down on it. It's called cash flows uh, on the bottom of over the cap. And that'll help you. Good info, Terry. And the other thing that, um, well, two things real quick. A lot of people, when they look at those numbers, I mean, they're already paying 18 million for Baker next year. So yeah. like that, they're already on the hook for that 18 million next year, which, so if you take mm -hmm. that away from the salary of Matt Ryan or Kirk Cousins, like that leaves you with, you know, 30 or whatever. Yeah, so, so, and also the Browns are in good shape with their own cap. And so it, it, it's fun. And I mean, the, you know, the other thing that you have too, you know, you have Kirk Cousins. I, I mean, I'm sorry, you have, Oops, you have, you do have, uh, um, uh, Case Keenum, Case Keenum. Yeah. Excuse me. What I did, I just, I just zapped you and now you're gone. Now you're back. 
I don't know what I did there, but it's not the first time I've messed up. So anyway, um, so what, uh, so that's the deal. Yeah. And and for just, I've seen a lot of sentiment in town that the media, Cleveland media is trying to run Baker out of town and all this stuff. And I went back and I was looking at Andrew Barry's season ending press conference. I mean, if Andrew Barry wanted to, in that he could have said, we're committed to Baker. We think he's our long-term answer quarterback and we want him around for a long time. And he didn't say that. This is what he said, Terry. I went back and I pulled the quote. I've mentioned this before in terms of how we look at the offseason. We do not go into it and say, hey, we are just going to target certain positions. We scout and look at player availability as if we have an expansion team. So the way we go about adding competition or improving the talent base and the roster is largely, maybe not wholly, but largely independent of who is currently on the team. So that basically says exactly what we've just been talking about. They're going to look at who's out there and see if they're better than who they have at every position. And that's not, we're committed to Baker long-term and we think he's going to be here for a long time. That's, those are two different things that they're talking about there. I mean, this is a minority position probably with fans. Although I'm just looking now at Case Keenum. I called him up. You know, the cap number is 8.4. The cash is 7 million. They could put Case Keenum in a trade. They don't necessarily have to trade Baker. That's true. And then draft somebody outside the first round. Yeah, something like that. They could do something like that. Or they could, I don't know what, trade every quarterback in sight. I mean, you know, know, play fantasy ball. But I guess let's let's just say this. And it isn't like an either or. It seems like the it's almost like how we are politically in this country, too. It's either like get rid of Baker and I don't I almost don't care who you bring in, or I don't care who you want to bring in, we got to go with Baker. No, you have to look at each as what almost what Andrew just said. That's where I am. All right, let's look at the alternatives. I'm not sure I would ever say the word expansion team to Browns fans in any context because <laughs> we talk about bringing back, you know, P, uh, flashbacks. Yeah. Post, oh, yeah. Post stress syndrome. I mean, that'll do it. <laughs> All right. Well, it's going to be an interesting offseason. And uh, Mary Kay Cabot is down at the Senior Bowl this week. Be sure to follow her coverage. Uh, lots of interesting stuff going down there and um, both yesterday and she'll have more today. So be sure to check her out at cleveland.com slash Browns. All right, Terry, there's not much going on on the baseball front. There's a lot of proposals and counter proposals, uh, a very weird time right now in terms of the players being very disconnected. Uh, Paul Hoynes was able to get a hold of um, Zach Plesak yeah. and Shane Bieber uh, for a really interesting story he did yesterday. But other than that, it's kind of quiet and the players are di- kind of disconnected and on a number of fronts, aren't they? Yes. I mean, first of all, you know, I'm not even getting negotiations. These guys, you know, right now, if we went to the table and asked these guys, what day is it? The players would say Tuesday and the owners would say Thursday, and they would not agree on Wednesday. You know, they just, they would, they'll deny anything. But what I've thought has been dumb about these negotiations and in the past have done it too, is when you lock them out, why are you locking your players out of medical facilities and rehab? Why are you locking them out from access to um, the training facility? They should be all, I mean, this, you got to look at your business long-term. You want your guy, these are multi-million dollar investments, each one of these players, even if they're not making, I mean, Shane Bieber right now, I think his you know, salary was half a million dollars. But what is he, a $50 million investment? I don't know what, long-term. And it's important. I would want this guy coming off that shoulder thing 
Yeah, I know he pitched a little bit at the end of last year, but I want want him in my facility in Goodyear. Now, this is not the Indians' call. This is Major League Baseball's call. And if I were the players, I would be pounding the table to say, why are you doing this? We should have our guys, you know, there to, to be working out in the facility so you have control in the weight room and the nutrition thing, especially for a lot of your players, your younger Latino players, who they always are working with them on nutrition ends and, and that kind of stuff, acclimating to them, to the, uh, to our country, uh, all this stuff. They, this is just, just letting them on their own. I mean, if you don't want to know, we, we caught some of that, what happened with schools when you just went all, all virtual, you know, talk to the teachers about when these kids have come back. There's a lot to make up for. And it would be in the best interest of the players because yeah. their careers are online, but also the teams. And you're right. Like, I get it. I mean, these are high powered lawyers going at each other negotiating at a very high level. And it's, it's gotta be very cut and dried in terms of the give and take, but this seems like something that it's in, like you said, it's in both interests. I mean, I uh, guess it's, the, it's too bad. Union, they can't work through that. Here. The union would probably say, all right, these guys are in, they'll, they'll, they're in there. They're playing at the facility and that. So they'll pressure us. They'll just want to come back and play ball. We don't want that to happen. Um, but I don't understand the owner's problem with it. Well, maybe that's something they'll toss into this negotiation is maybe that, next that time there's be, a stoppage, they would. Keep in mind. Yeah. I just, I was just, and then I, of course I saw that they, they've walked off again and they're hemming and hawing about whatever. Yeah. All right, Terry, before we leave baseball, I, I did want to mention you had a lovely column this week on uh, Nancy and Herb score and Nancy passed away last week. And I just thought you did a wonderful job kind of sharing the story of their relationship and what they meant to each other. And um, I, I hope you got some great feedback to that. It was really, it was really a lovely tale. Yeah. And it, you know, they, Bob DiBiasio from the Indians called him kind of Cleveland Indians, you know, first family and a baseball. And given how long Herb was around from playing here, he came up in, in, in 55. I mean, if you look at the first two years of Herb scores pitching career, and I really encourage everyone to do it. He was an all-star two years in a row. He led the league in strikeouts. He won like 36 games. Uh, before the age of 24. I mean, this guy was, you know, Bob Felber said he was a future Hall of Famer. You know how Bob is. Bob was crusty. And the, Bob said this when Herb was young, pitching, not just later on. So he was going to be something special. And then he got hit in the eye with the line drive. Herb always said that he, that wasn't the reason. He said he came back and slipped on the mound in Washington on a rainy night. And that hurt his elbow, and he never was the same after that. Uh, and then he lost the ability to throw strikes. And it, it, it was really sad. And then he read by 64, he's in the broadcast booth and he stays there until 97. Um, and, but Nancy, interestingly, she, she knew him from high school, but they didn't start to date till uh, Herb was uh, along in his pro career. They got married two years after he had the eye injury. So she didn't actually didn't get to ride the high, the high wave with Herb. You know, she went through even where he ended up in the minors and everything else. And then they were, you know, they came to Cleveland. She became a really well-known real estate agent on the west side of Cleveland. Um, and they had a child, Susan, with Down sy syndrome. They had four kids. And Tom Hamilton was telling me just, you know, the wife of the broadcaster. And just like in there, they have to really oftentimes be both parent roles. And then, of course, Herb retires a year later in a serious car wreck. And then for 10 years, he's battling strokes and everything else. So it was, it was a true love story uh, for them. And when you talk about for better or worse, 
they both went through it together. And I mean, one of the touching things to me, because my father had a stroke very similar to what Herb endured, where he was lost the ability to speak. And when friends would call or whatever, and, and the, the man would just say, yeah, 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 which I guess it's kind of what Herb said, or my father would say, man, 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 only have one or two words they draw on. You know, that kind of cuts the conversation short. But Rocky Calavito would call every other week for years and years, his close friends to Herb. Nancy would get tears in her eyes telling me about this, how Rocky just stood by. And he'd get Herb laughing. And she goes, they go 20, 30 minutes. I don't know what's going on there. But, you know, it was such a relief for her as a caretaker. So I just uh, I just thought of all those things. Nancy used to um, email me quite a bit about different faith columns that I had written and I knew something was up because I, I would email to her. She moved to Fort Myers in, 19, in, in uh, 2019, and I hadn't heard anything the last month or so. Usually, I emailed it to her every week, and usually I'd hear something back. And I go, oh, I wonder what's going on. And unfortunately, that was, that was what it was. She was 85. Boy, and, and boy, talk about touching. When you were talking to Tom Hamilton about Nancy and her, yeah. Tom started to tear up, which just, just shows you the, imp- yeah, the impact that. that they had as a couple. Um, on Tom and everybody else that that knew him. Yeah, and also just that, you know, he would go over and visit Herb some, and and you saw, I mean, anybody who's gone through a long-term care situation, I mean, the caregiver, I mean, they both pay a price, the person who's the patient and the person who's the caregiver. They, It's a tough emotional price. Well, thanks for sharing that column, Terry. I think it gave people a real window into kind of what they were all about. And um, so thank you for doing that. All right. We have a couple of Hey Terry questions. If you want to hit us with a Hey Terry question, the best way to do it. Well, there's two ways, actually. You can catch Terry on his Facebook page, or if you want to email us a question, you can send it to sports at cleveland.com. It's easy to remember and just put Terry's talking or Hey Terry in the subject line, and we will do our best to get on the podcast. Two Browns questions this week, Terry. First one's really interesting. So Hey Terry, love the podcast. Um, I'm a, I, I know you're a big fan of good field goal kickers and all the intricate things a kicker needs to do to be accurate. I remember a column written in the early 90s about Bill Belichick, who was coaching the Browns then. He had the goalpost at Browns practice moved in three feet on each side, so it was six feet narrower than the regulation goalpost, and his theory was to make it difficult at practice so that in a game the kicker would have a mental look at the at the field goal and it would look way bigger than it was in practice and he talks about the question um this comes from joe m who says he's a lifetime clevelander and browns indians Cavs fan he he points out matt stover was such a great kicker he was 23 years old when he 23 years old when he was signed and he wonders do you remember the browns doing this and have you ever heard of any other teams doing this since you're kind of a connoisseur of kickers i don't but i would you know i'm gonna uh text phil dawson ask him about this uh because that sounds like something Bill would do. Uh, I knew a coach that uh, when he wanted to have his team improve free throw shooting, he had kind of overinflated basketballs to shoot so that you would get it and it gets the ball would feel smaller and the rim would look bigger. Um, I'm for anything that works. It, it makes some sense. It really does. And remember, Bill loves, he was first a special teams coach. He was a long snapper at the Wesleyan College. So that sounds, it sounds pure, like it sounds very Belichickian to me. Yeah. But I, All right. I'm going to text Phil and see if he knows anything about shrinking the goalpost and does he think that works? All right. That'll be a good one to follow up on. Thanks, Joe M., for that question. 
Well, Terry, this next one is about Richard Higgins, and I'm afraid the Richard Higgins era may be coming to an end maybe this offseason. We'll see. But this one comes from Steve Watson from Ashland, Ohio. He says, what happened to Richard Higgins this year? Non-existent against Cincinnati. He had one catch against Pittsburgh. Except for 19, this was his lowest totals in a year since his rookie year. Like you, I've loved watching him over the years. I'm just wondering what happened. Did Donovan Peoples-Jones happen to him? And Donovan take away some of his targets. Uh, what yeah. did you think of Rashard this year? And do you think he, he could be done here in terms of the I revamped receiver room? Rashard did not play how you want to play on a one-year contract. <laughs> I can say that. And, you know, is it possible that it didn't matter who is at wide receiver this year, they were going to have a bad year? It really looks like it. And I believe the wide receivers, I had this in the paper the other day, I think they had a grand total of seven TD catches. And I don't know what to think of him. Even Peoples Jones really didn't get that many targets. You know, Jarvis, the whole passing game is a complete mess. And that is what they really do need to rip it apart completely. I don't believe the receivers were as bad as they showed. Uh, but it can't purely just simply be all Baker Mayfield had a bad year. And if they simply say that, um, that could come back and really bother them in 22. Because uh, there, there was other things going on. How much is schematic? I, I'm not good enough to know. But Richard, uh, Richard's going to have to probably go somewhere in a completely non-guaranteed contract next year. Yeah, when you see a guy being, well, they call in, in hockey a healthy scratch. I mean, there were games when he was inactive and yeah. could have played. That's not a good sign for somebody's future. Well, so One thing I know I heard that Richard just did not work hard on special teams or whatever to make himself available for some of that. And so I don't know. It seemed to me Hollywood had a chance really this year to step up and it just didn't happen. All right. We'll see what happens with him. All right. It's time for a Terry's trivia question for this week. Terry, we've been talking a lot about the All-Star game, the NBA All-Star game coming here in a couple of weeks. There are two Cavaliers who have won the three-point contest at All-Star weekend. Who are they? Pretty sure I know this. Mark Price was one. That's correct. And Kyrie Irving was the other. Because I remember writing columns about both of them doing it. That's the only reason. Um, be interesting to see as time goes along, can Darius Garland do it? Yeah, I think he'd be a good candidate for, for yeah. down the road. But yeah, you're right, Terry. So Kyrie won it in 2013. Mark Price was a two-time winner in 93 and 94. So here's your bonus question. Which... By the way, Price took tremendous pride in that. Did he really? Oh. It doesn't surprise me. Because he thought... You know, he would never remember Damon Jones said, I'm the greatest shooter in the world. Uh, <laughs> Price never said it, but I could tell you, Price thought it. I knew Mark very well, was on the beat with the Akron Beacon Journal back then. And this was a chance for him to go show it. And he did. You always think it's just kind of they're doing it for fun and then maybe they get a check on the side if they win, but it is personal. No, in a lot yeah. of ways. No, yeah. the shooting is, you know, those guys that are really good at it, they part of the reason they're really good at it is they don't think anybody's better than them. All right, so I have a second part of the trivia question because right. you, you did so well in the first part. There's a current Cav who also was a three-point contest winner, but he was not with the Cavs when he did it. 
Can you name that player? So I'm talking about a current Cavalier who won the NBA three-point contest at All-Star Weekend, but he was not on the Cavs when he did it, and this happened in 2012. Boy, am I blanking out on He's a veteran, and it was Kevin Love, which I had completely forgotten. I mean, Love's really good, okay? Yeah. But I never would have thought that. Yeah, he was with the Minnesota Timberwolves back in 2012, and he won the three-point shootout uh, contest at All-Star Weekend. Love is a very good shooter, but not a great one. Yeah, you wouldn't put him in the category with some of these other guys that we've been no, talking just, about. And, and that's why I'm going. I, I thought of Love, and then, then when he says a veteran, I'm down, I was like, I guess that's him. But I was trying to be – there's some old guy sitting on the bench that I forgot about. Yeah, uh, so hard to – that was that was 10 years that, ago, that's and a good I one. completely that's, forgot. That's a really good one because <laughs> those other two I just happened to recall – I remember Kyrie was very excited, wasn't a younger player, very excited about uh, winning the three-point contest too. So I could tell you, though, those guys take pride in winning that contest. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we'll see how that goes when it's in Cleveland. That should be fun. Um, I think we're about ready to wrap up, Terry. I have been doing a terrible job. I'm supposed to be selling stuff on our podcast sometimes, like in terms of telling people how they can subscribe, and I haven't done it one time, so I'm going to do it here. If you want to subscribe to cleveland.com, there's a great way to do it. If you just go to cleveland.com slash browns, you'll see a blue bar at the top of the page, and if you sign up to become a subscriber, I know it can be confusing, but here's what you get. You get to read everything on cleveland.com, including Terry's stuff that is for subscribers, and you can get a free daily Browns newsletter put together by our staff about what's going on with the Browns. And you can become a member of our Browns texting service, which is where our reporters will text you stuff, their thoughts, analysis, kind of breaking news on the Browns. So check it out. It's well worth it. And uh, we'd love to have you help support journalism and, and what we do. And give it a look if you get a chance. We'd love to have you on board. So anything else, Terry, that I That'll neglected to get to? Anything side. else on your mind? We're good. All right. Um, how's Vintage Browns been going? Any news on your latest book that you want to pass along before we sign off? Just that so it's out there. We, we have, we, now we have enough in print and all that because we, we kind of blew out our first um, printing and that because of the supply chain stuff. But we have more. And Vintage Calves, too, is out there. It's a book that I really liked, of course, as the author humbly, but it came out like two or three months before the pandemic and just got blown out of being noticed so and that's a book that picked up sales around christmas people were buying both of them they were vintaging all over the place so i did like that both of those were really well received uh, after they came out by fans we got a lot of response uh to how much people like those so pick those up terry thanks as usual and we will talk to you next week on terry's talking